Our reading this morning is from Romans chapter 11, verses 17 through 24. Romans 11, beginning at verse 17. If you're able, I'll ask you that you stand as an expression of honor toward God's word. Romans 11, beginning with verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness to you. Provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Let's pray. Father, please help us to understand this passage of Scripture. Help us to listen, to hear your voice, to receive it, to be changed by it. This, we confess, is a miracle that only you can bring to pass. So please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So the statistics show and... Many of our personal experiences show that one thing that turns a lot of people away from Jesus is the arrogance of the church. This arrogance can show itself in um, hypocrisy or in judgmentalism, but the research shows that it's true. And I bet all of you, if you haven't experienced it yourself, feeling condemned or judged by some uppity, holier-than-thou Christian I bet you know someone who has turned away from church and Jesus because they felt condemned and judged by Christians. Um, Barna Research Group did a big study of why young people leave the church. And there were six main reasons that they found. And one of them was they felt that the church was uh, arrogant and condemning and judgmental towards imperfect people. Now, I think we all know that it's wrong. We shouldn't be that way. And we need to realize that no one wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to be arrogant today. I'm going to put on my nicest clothes and I'm going to be arrogant and I'm going to look down upon those lower than me. Nobody thinks they're being arrogant. It's something that grows and builds slowly and subtly. And the next thing you know... A person can become arrogant, or a church can get full of arrogant people. So consider today a checkup for your own heart and the heart of our church. And what we're going to see in this passage is 
I'll just call them three cures for salvation-based arrogance. That's what this passage is really all about. It's confusing with all of this talk about the olive tree and the branches and who gets cut off and who gets grafted in. And what does this mean for the Jews? Or is he going to bring them all back? Does this mean you can lose your salvation? There's a lot of particulars. But the big idea is this. Don't be arrogant. And I get it from verse 18 when it says, do not be arrogant. See that? Those exegetical skills come with time. Um, I wouldn't expect you to be able to understand. Now, it's very plain all through the passage. Don't be arrogant because you're a Christian and others are not. Now, he's mainly talking about unbelieving Jewish people because anti-Semitism was a big problem in this culture, and it's a problem in ours too. You know, I've gotten to know many of you pretty well, and I don't, I don't pick up a lot of anti-Semitism from our people. I don't think that is our danger as much as a more general arrogance, salvation-based, I'm righteous, they are not. We have Jesus, they do not. And a looking down, that's what that word arrogance means. It's a combination of two words in the original language. The first word has the idea of like looking down, and the other one has the idea of boasting really loudly. So basically saying, I'm better than you. That's what arrogance means. So, Paul teaches this uh, lesson about not being arrogant and how to avoid being arrogant with this kind of elaborate analogy of an olive tree. Any olive uh, vineyard owners in here? Nobody's dealt with a lot of olive vines and olive trees? No? Okay. Uh, I saw it called both tree and vine. I thought it was just a vine. So, if I sound ignorant, forgive me. So, We've not dealt with a lot of olive branches to understand his analogy. So I'll just explain it to you real briefly so we get what he's talking about. If you had an olive vineyard and you had a tree, an an olive vine or an olive tree that was just getting sickly and unproductive, it wasn't producing olives or it was producing really nasty, sickly olives, you wouldn't just lop the whole thing down and get rid of it. What you would do is first you would prune it. You would cut away all the dead stuff, all the dead branches that are just dead weight hanging there, sucking up the energy of the, of the vine, of the root. Get rid of all that. And then you would take a, a wild olive branch and you would graft it in. You would like tie it to the tree so that over time it would become part of that olive tree. And that new wild, wild olive shoot would reinvigorate the whole tree. Okay, you following with me so far? Like three people are? Excellent. So, in case that still seems abstract, uh, let's bring it into Doolin's Grove and give an example of Doolin's Grove. What he's talking about would be the same scenario as if I sat down with our membership list. I gather my deacons with me and we look through the membership list. And we flag anyone we suspect is a dead branch. Uh, Anyone who's not producing the fruits of the Spirit. You know, we're we're looking at this name, and we know this person, and we don't see a lot of love. We don't see a lot of joy. We don't see a lot of peace or patience or kindness. Don't see a lot of gentleness. Don't see a lot of self-control. We're concerned about this branch. So then we send our team of three deacons to go interview all the people who know this individual. We don't interview the individual first. We interview the people who know this individual. So let's say this is a, a man with a family. We go to his wife. And we say, okay, we're worried about your husband. 
Let's talk about his fruitfulness. How is he loving you? How, how is he doing with worship? Does he love God from his heart? You know, I see him at church and he sings. How is he in the home? And then we go to the kids and we say, how's your dad doing? Is he patient toward you and loving? Um, is he teaching you? Are you growing up in the instruction of the Lord? Is he teaching you about the Bible, about Jesus? And then we go to his coworkers and his friends and we say, what kind of fruit is this guy producing? Now, if we find that, that these individuals that we go and research are the equivalent of dead branches hanging off of the Doolin's Grove vine, and then we just lop them off. And we say, listen, sir, I'm sorry, but we want Doolin's Grove to be a productive, fruitful tree. And you are dead and withered, and we have to cut you loose. So we go and trim all the membership of all the dead limbs. And then we go out and we do evangelism in, in sort of the darkest, uh, most radically unchristian areas. And we bring in a handful of new believers who don't know anything about religiosity at all. All they know is now they have Jesus. They're wild. So we get rid of the, the dead membership. We bring in some new Christians. And suddenly the whole church is stirred up, changed, refreshed, reinvigorated. Okay, can you picture that scenario? That's what our deacons meeting is this week. I'm kidding. (laughs) But the feeling that you may have had rising up in you, and if you thought we were actually going to do that, hang on to that for the end of this sermon. Um, That's sort of the idea that Paul is getting at. This is what God has done with his people. The Jews had grown unfruitful. He pruned them away and he grafted in this wild branch of Gentiles. Not just for the Gentiles' sake, but so that it would reinvigorate the whole tree. Because he wants a fruitful people. Are you with me? All right. (laughs) So, with that in mind, I have very simple three cures for salvation-based arrogance. Based on what God has done with the Jews and the Gentiles and how he operates. Okay? So cure number one, it, it's you got to remember something, you have to fear something, and you have to consider something. Those are your three cures. Cure number one, something for you to remember. Read with me verses 17 through 18. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the, the root that supports you. That was important and I've slipped up on Let me read it again. Remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. What root? What is he talking about? What root supports us? Jesus. That's right. I'm going to prove it to you in case you think I'm just making things up. Because Jesus is the right answer to any church question. I'm not making it up. And you can see it for yourself in John chapter 15. And I'm going to read this whole passage too, even though this isn't our primary passage. It's just so good. And it'll help us understand Romans 11. John 15, beginning at verse 1, Jesus said, 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we'll stop right there for right now, but we're going to revisit that. So Jesus is the root that supports us. We are not the root that supports Jesus. Jesus feeds us. We do not feed Jesus. Jesus supports us. We do not support Jesus. I like to use the um, analogy of a drowning victim because there's not much as undignified as drowning. Flopping around in the water, you cannot retain any dignity in that. You're desperate. If you've ever seen a distressed swimmer, you're helpless and desperate. The lifeguard swims out to get you and pulls you back in. You do not brush yourself off and look at like the girls and be like, did you see that? Did you see how I got back in out there? I was distressed, but I made it back. You don't gloat because you didn't do jack. The lifeguard saved you when you were desperate. That's what we are, Christians. We were desperately flopping around in our own sin. And Jesus, the lifeguard, came and pulled us back in and saved us. We didn't originate anything. We received So don't be arrogant. Remember, the root supports us. We do not support the root. Now, one other note about this. Jesus said he is the true vine. There's lots of things that that you might think are the vine. He's the only true vine. He's the true root. People need to be grafted into Jesus Christ, not to Doolin's Grove. Grafting into Doolin's Grove is not nourishing in of itself. Grafting into Jesus Christ is nourishing. Grafting into heterosexual marriage is not nourishing in of itself. Grafting into Jesus Christ is nourishing. Grafting into any form of morality or religious practice is not nourishing. It just leads to death and decay. Jesus is the true vine. Okay, so that's cure number one. Remember that... Uh, Cure number two, something to fear. Read with me verses 19 through 21. He says, Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Now, I know we're getting close to that question of, is this teaching that a Christian can lose his salvation? We're going to address it, uh, but not yet. So just hold your horses. His main idea here, you can cure salvation-based arrogance if you will fear God. And remember that it's only faith that connects you to this vine in the first place. 
So I'll use the same illustration I use every other Sunday, the pew you're sitting on. It's only faith that connects you to that pew. You're sitting on it because of your faith. The only reason you're held up right now and you're not sprawled out on the ground is because the pew is holding you up. Now, that's a simple-minded illustration, but it's only faith that connects us to Jesus Christ. The only reason it doesn't fall flat is because he is true and he is real and he holds us up. We're completely dependent upon him and his grace and his mercy. So if he removed it, we're damned. Just like if I remove that pew from you, you're going to fall. There's a healthy fear that we need to retain as Christians. You know, be, the difference between a Christian and, you know, whatever you have in your mind of the worst sinner out there is not degrees of sin, it's degrees of belief. We're all sinful. We are all dependent upon Jesus. Just some believe and receive it and some don't. So remember that it's the root that supports us. Fear God because it's all in his hands. Our destiny is in his hands. Now, does that mean you can lose your salvation? I've talked to many of you, and I know there's some in here who think that one can lose their salvation. If they turn away from Jesus, they stop living the Christian life, they withdraw from church, they've lost their salvation. Now, I know there's other in here who do not believe that. So let's read this and figure this out. The last thing, the third thing, something to consider or note. In verse 22, he writes, Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Is that confusing to anyone? Okay, me too. His big idea here is not to teach whether one can or cannot lose his salvation. His big idea is don't be proud and arrogant because it would be just as easy for God to lop you off and graft them back in as it was for him to lop them off and graft you in. So just keep in mind, the big idea here is not a teaching about can you lose your salvation. It's don't be proud. Okay? So just keep that in mind. We are going to talk about the loss of salvation. In short, can one lose his salvation? No. Now, since that's not the main purpose of this passage, I'm not going to spend all the time that it deserves to prove that to you. You're going to discuss it in your house-to-house groups. Uh, By the way, your discussion starters are on the table out there in the lobby on your way out. You're going to talk about it, and there's scriptures in there in your guide to help you think about it. Um, But in short, based on all of Scripture and just what we've studied so far in Romans, no. No. You can't lose your salvation once you've received it. 
from God. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to receive it or earn it. God gave it to you. You're not going to be able to do anything to lose it. But I only have, there's just one scripture I want to read to prove my point right now. And I want you to see it too in Matthew chapter 7. I need you to mentally hang with me here. This is another kind of tough, tough passage of scripture. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read verses 21 through 23. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, right after he talks about trees and fruit above that, you can read that later, he says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, let's just stop at this point real quick. There are people who call Jesus Lord who are not saved, who are not Christians. It's easy to call someone Lord. It's different for them to actually be your Lord and for you to live in obedience to them. Okay. On that day, in verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. Did we not go to church every Sunday in your name? Did we not volunteer in all these key church positions in your name? Did we not teach Christianity to our children in your name? Verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Okay, now let's bounce from that back into Romans 11 and let that shed light on what he's saying here. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. When will the cutting off take place? He says you will be cut off. This is some future thing that that will happen to those who do not continue in the kindness of the Lord. Now, in short, I don't believe one can lose their salvation. I believe what he's saying is, in the end, we'll finally know who was saved and who was not. Because in the meantime, we're all growing together like branches on this tree... And we all look pretty similar. We're all saying, Lord, Lord. We're all doing Christian service in his name. Yet some of us do not actually know him. And he does not actually know us. And in the end, he will prune away those who do not know him. So, that um, example I gave earlier of Doolin's Grove, of me and the deacons, like a task force roaming through our membership list, lopping off those who we believe are not fruitful on the vine, people who've been here for years and years and years and just display no fruit. And then I told you that's what we're meeting about this Wednesday, and everybody knew I was joking, but maybe some of you for just a minute thought, oh, no, are they going to interview my family? Are they going to go interview my coworkers? 
you need to know that that scenario is going to take place. It's not going to be me combing the membership list. It's going to be Jesus Christ. He's not going to need to interview your family and friends because he knows your heart. There's no place for salvation-based arrogance in Christianity. It's incompatible. We need to remember that it's all because of Jesus and only Jesus. We need to remember that God's pruning scissors are sharp. That word severity, in the original language, it, it really just means sharpness. He is a good vine dresser. He will prune away all the dead. Now, I mentioned that all the research shows that many who turn away from Jesus do so because they feel like Christians are arrogant and proud and judgmental and they condemn. Now, imagine how many might come to Jesus if they saw our salvation-based humility rather than salvation-based arrogance. If they saw that we were people who we didn't think highly of ourselves— We thought highly of Jesus. We weren't trying to push on anybody our moral code. Look how I do it. This is how you should do it. We're just trying to urge people toward Jesus. He's the one that saved me from drowning in my own sin. He'll save you too. I love our church. And I don't mean our building. I mean our people. I mean you guys. My... My goal is very simple as your pastor. It's to feed you really well from the nourishment of God's word and to see fruitfulness develop in your lives. And I see it in many, and I'm concerned about many. So my prayer this morning is that God's word and God's Holy Spirit would penetrate into all of our hearts that we would allow it to examine us, that we'd be humbled by these things and be freed to worship God like we were designed to do, to love and serve people like we were designed to do, and to make disciples. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kindness, and I acknowledge your severity. Lord, I thank you that any of us are still here, still breathing, because we all deserve your wrath. I don't understand everything you have in mind to do with the Jewish people and the Gentiles. I don't yet see it clearly, but I know that you want us to be humbled by who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. So I ask now that you would do that that you would humble us, that we would all be fruitful parts of the vine. Lord, please be gracious to the dead branches. Lord, please be gracious in Jesus' name. Amen.